up, peeps? Swizz here with Dan Nathan. It's November. That's the letter X for you futures people out there. December is Zed. And if you recall Pulp Fiction, uh, there was a character named Zed. But that's neither here nor there. This is Market Call. By the way, later we're going to be joined by Matthew Haggerty, Senior Energy Strategist Analyst at FactSet. And he'll be joining us to give us his 2023 Energy Outlook. Dan, today's market call is brought to you by our sponsor, CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. I will tell you, their commercials on TV are crazy. The one with Laird Hamilton surfing is just completely badass. And, of course, our data partner, FactSet. How are you, Dan? I'm doing, who did our backgrounds today, guy? Who did it wrong? I screwed I it up. Know. It's me. I'm, you know, listen, just so we understand each other for you bingo players, I'm impaling myself constantly. <laughs> like they send me these things on email, then I have to download them, and then I have to hit a plus sign that uploads. And it's just, it's beyond painful for me. I'd rather stick pins in my beep back I, to you. I, I do think it looks kind of good that we have a couple. Of, hey, listen, maybe our people can comment on which one they like better. You know what? The guy Adami who wore it better, Peter, right? Who wore who wore it better? That's exactly it. All right, let's do this thing here, man. Like we talked about it on the market call yesterday, this is kind of like the Super Bowl. You know, we're kind of getting through the bulk of Q3 earnings. We've had a bunch of guidance. We had some huge moves last week. Um, mm-hmm. Some right, some of the biggest names in the market. We got Fed tomorrow. We got jobs on Friday. We've had a bunch of data here. What are you feeling, guy? What do you feel? It feels like people want to be bullish right now. Yeah, it, cer- <laughs> it certainly does. Um, and this morning, you know, the reversal today, I mean, we'll talk about it, obviously, is something that you sort of want to bookmark. I'm not suggesting it's anything no. yet, but it's one of those things you absolutely have to watch. I mean, for any given day, you don't see a lot. Then there are certain days that you sort of have to store away in that brain of yours and and see what happens. Today could potentially one of those days, given the fact that we reversed and given the fact that at a certain point, say we're over 3,900 briefly yeah. in the S&P. But I think you're right. People want to be bullish. And more and more, we're starting to hear from some of these strategists and at all that, you know, dovish Fed and the market could rally and maybe the worst is over and soft landing, all the nonsense that they're prone to say. And look, I mean, that's what we saw, obviously, early today. But you know what, Dan? The fact that it's given up a little bit here, again, into the Fed, uh, against some data that's probably not helping them, you know, you have to start to openly question if there's some legs left in this thing. Well, it's interesting. When you look at the S&P futures chart, you look at that kind of volatility that we had, um, upward volatility into the month end. We know that October was a great month. We also know it's the end of the um, fiscal year for many large um, mutual fund pools here. So we maybe got a little bit of a mark and maybe today's action is a little bit of a reset of that. Mm. Our main man, David Rosenberg, you know him as what? Rosie. Rosie. He is I Rosie. Saying, I just like the, saying Rosie. He is the man, the myth, the legend. He tweeted this this morning in the lead up to the Fed meeting. We got the money supply data for September M2 was down uh, 0.6 month over month, down uh, three of the past four months. A year ago, the year over year trend was up nearly mm-hmm. 13%. Now to 2.6, back to where it was in July of 2010. Inflation is set to get crushed. Now, listen, 
This is it, man. Like, can the Fed, can Fed, the honorable Fed chair Powell, can he roll up on, I don't know, some big aircraft carrier, put a big Mission Impossible sign up there tomorrow and just say, we did it. Yeah, they did it. He did okay, it. Okay, so let's just, I mean, Rosie's right, and, I, yeah. and I've said it for a while. Inflation will get crushed, and you go from 9.1%, that peak number that we saw, and I would submit anything with, I don't know, a six handle is getting crushed. Problem is, as you know, and I'm not trying to be glib here, they're trying to get it back to 2%. And that's there's a long way between, you know, something with a six handle and something basically with a two handle. So, yeah, I mean, they're succeeding here, but the, the, this game ain't over. As they said yeah. in the movie The Gambler with the great James Kahn and Paul Sorvino, they don't pay you at halftime. So if you think you're winning at the half and you're counting your money, think again there, folks. Fair enough. All right, like let's look analogy. at this headline. I thought this was interesting because I saw this on Twitter yesterday, I think, or someone shared this tweet with me that J.P. Morgan says, this is a Bloomberg story, uh, dovish Fed could spark 10% rally. Now, if you read and you read the highlighted bit here, yeah. there's somebody on a sales desk at J.P. Morgan. Now, I guarantee you that sales manager is not so happy that one of this guy's comments and one of his sales emails to a hedge fund guy probably, you know, got picked up this way because I don't think that's J.P. Morgan's house view. Do you think so, Guy Adami? No, I don't. You know, yes. I mean, a dovish Fed could. I mean, listen to all this. I mean, a dovish Fed could spark. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I could play shortstop for the Yankees next year, given the fact that they're going to probably move on from IKF, who was an unmitigated disaster. There are a lot of things <laughs> that could happen. So, again, you know, people throw these things out. I think these headline writers sometimes just get lazy. But unfortunately, and you know this, Dan, I'm being serious for a second. The market picks up on these things. You know, there are programs uh, yeah. out there that pick up on headlines like this and the market trades on the back of it. So, you know, a lot of the early strength, I'm not saying it was completely predicated on this, but things like this clearly can drive markets. Yeah, well, 10% from the current levels or kind of where we closed yesterday would bring you so back the, to the, so the almost 400 handles in the S&P. Yeah, well, it brings you right back to that mid-August high, too, which would be, you know, above that downtrend that's been in place since the first week of the year. Um, I'd just be hard-pressed to think that we um, get through that. Looking at the S&P futures right here, you see that downward sloping, um, you know, 200-day mm -hmm. moving average. I guess the NASDAQ guy is the one that I really want to focus on here because, again, we know the NASDAQ 100, those top five, six, seven names make up more than 40% or so of the index. And they're obviously 25% of the S&P 500. But when you look at just the, what we heard from Amazon, what we heard from Google, what we heard from Microsoft and Meta, it wasn't great. Even what we heard from Tesla, for that matter, we're not, we're not going to get uh, NVIDIA's guidance for um, a few more weeks here. And even Apple wasn't that great. We talked about it. So to me, I guess, is this how the market bottoms guy is kind of like, finally, we had the generals get hit hard on a downward um, guidance for the current quarter here, or is it going to be some fits and starts here? I think, well, I think fits and starts is correct. I mean, I think it's encouraging that we're starting to get some negative data points from yeah. the from the names that have effectively driven market rallies for a decade or so. I think that's to your point, that's sort of the last chapter of this thing, but there are a lot of pages left in that chapter. So there is, let's put it this way. If you think there's an all clear sign, I think again, and I think we've done a decent job in talking about this rally. We started on the 14th of October. I think we picked it up again on the 17th of October on Market Call, and we talked about the potential 
for a June-like rally when we saw the market rally almost 19%. And I thought it'd be closer to 15%. And if we get to 4,000 in the S&P, that's exactly what it'll be, almost to the penny, as they say. Yeah. So we got to 39, what, 39 and a quarter or so today. Now you're starting to look around. I mean, Apple's been under pressure to your point. That Apple quarter, yeah. I don't think it was particularly great. I mean, we can quibble if you want. It was fine. By Apple standards, it wasn't great. And the guidance was clearly not great. And it still trades at a premium multiple in an environment where stocks shouldn't trade at that multiple, especially given their growth rate and earnings rate. So we'll see. But I think you bring up a good point. This is exactly what you want to see. And I think it suggests we're in the later stages of this. But I think there's more room to the downside. Yeah. And I guess if there's any dovish talk in the Fed or like at least investors, strategists, economists are kind of like, you know, gleaning, you know, some kind of dovish sort of um, path mm -hmm. forward, you know, yields are going to get hit really hard. Right. And so to me, you know, we don't have to go through it too much more here. I I'm playing for lower yields. Um, you know, you've been talking about the TLT. That's the iShares 20 year treasury ETF. If you're buying that, you're making a bearish view on yields. I've been playing it through the GOVT, but guess the CME Fed Watch tool. We got the meeting tomorrow. It's saying an 80% chance of a 75 basis point hike. Yeah. Do you think that 20% chance that it's 50 basis no. points? Do yeah. you think that's I'm that's surprised, high? actually. You know, yeah. I, I wouldn't think it would be look, I don't think it ever gets to a hundred percent. I mean, you know, but I would have yeah. thought it was higher than this. So I mean, I think there's the market is holding out hope that again, to that earlier comments we made, you know, a lot of the Fed's work has been done for it. But to me, and again, not that I'm anybody, I think it's a pretty much a foregone conclusion that they go 75. I think actually less than that, I don't know how the market would interpret it. I think in the knee jerk would be higher, but then they'd have to say, wait a second, really, what's going on here? It really comes down to what's going to happen over the next couple of meetings. And that's where things get, I think things get interesting, right? I mean, is it yeah. 75, 50, 25, 25? Is it 75, 50? We're going to wait and see. I mean, to the extent they even give that kind of guidance is going to be interesting. Yeah, fair enough. And one of the things that, you know, just like the yield on the 10 year is contending with that uptrend, it's a little below it. It's right around that 4%. Um, you know, that's a nice round number here. The US dollar index is also contending with this uptrend that's been in place mm -hmm. for nearly a year. You and I have been talking about it a bunch. I have a trade on UUP, uh, bearish of the UUP, which is the ETF that tracks the US dollar index here. And this one really feels like, again, the slightest bit of dovishness. And you're going to have this thing break that trend you see that 200 day moving average mm -hmm. all the way down there that is my trade but guy let me ask you this in the face of the potential for weakening dollar weakening yields we have you know gold that has just been an absolute oh. disaster here talk to me about the gold i mean you see this bespoke headline here on the twitter here in the midst of the highest inflation numbers in 40 plus years gold is in a seven month losing streak look at that technical setup it's through its 200 day moving average you see that Epic double top approaching what might be, you know, important near term. So I like what you did there. What do we what do we what do we do with this thing, bud? I love what you did. I mean, that looks like a Cardo Braxton worth chart. Well, here you we know, are I support. can't take any credit. This was all Diaz and Rafis. Wow. Was, Stephen Rafis, who needs to work on his left and lacrosse, and Amanda's doing tremendous work. Wait, wait, Listen, first what of all, I, guy, thanks for paying attention. He is a lefty. He's got to work well, on it. And he's still right? yeah, and he needs to work on it. It's my point. <laughs> there you anyway. Go. It's, you know, I guess, you know, you brought up the fact that, you know, record inflation or four decade high inflation. So you would think that gold would do well under those circumstances. That's correct. The problem is the Fed is trying to combat exactly that. So I think gold is taking its cues 
from a Federal Reserve that's trying to tamp down inflation. So in some ways, it makes sense. The bullish argument when for gold will be exactly what we started the show with. If there's some dovish tone or some indication that their job has been done or you know, mission accomplished sign yeah. has flown at the Federal Reserve. That's when I think gold takes the next leg higher. And we'll talk to Matthew in a second about energy, because I think to a large extent, if you're right, if the Fed sort of puts things on hold, if dollar goes lower, if yields start to go lower, that's going to open the Pandora's box that is commodities, one, in the form of energy. And we'll have that conversation. And I think two, in the form of gold. So in some ways, if you're bullish gold, yeah, so you have to actually hope that the Fed thinks their job is done and they actually signal some sort of pivot pause or what's the new term step down, which is step. Dumb. Yeah. Is that that is that that Fed whisperer person? Who was the other Nick why do these Fed whisperer people like five foot seven? Is it is it is it like don't, a don't, prerequisite? Guy, don't make height jokes just because I'm making you, it. You just because I'm making you're it. very fortunate that you're six two, six three, you yeah. know. I mean, like it's it's yeah, worked for you. Saying. It's that has worked for you. I'm also six two, by the way. Yeah, um, I know that. But you know, guy, you mentioned you said at the start of the show, do you call is is market call a show? What do you think? What, this thing if is? it's what, what would it I don't know. I mean to be you know what? That's another good question. Let, let us know on Twitter. What do you call when you do a poll on Twitter? You know, a Twitter poll. You, I think it's I think it's a show. You and I, mean, I could what, be. If it's not a show, what is it? We could be like an is AI. It an infomercial. We could be an AI, just this thing that lives on like YouTube Live and Twitter Live, and mm. you know what I mean. Like, yeah, I like and, and by the way, and I'm really off the rails, and we got to get to yeah. Matthew. I apologize, but yeah. I saw somebody tweet something about Allen Iverson, and I will tell you, there was never a player like him before. During or after, he was a freak. So you bring yeah. up AI, and what comes into my mind in, in, immediately is the great Allen Iverson, known as the answer. He was the answer. All right, let's hit. You know, your your point about commodities is really good. And again, before we get to Matthew on on that gas um, and crude, let's look at the material sector here because this one is kind of shaping up the XME. If you look at this, the ETF that tracks metals and mining here, you know, that's a heck of a double bottom. If Carter yeah. was here, he'd probably say that kind of that flattening two hundred day moving average. He likes to use that one hundred fifty day, but it really looks like you know it's building some tension here. Thoughts on this space? Because again, I, I think your point is, is that if we do see yields come in, if we do see, um, you know, the Fed less likely to be raising rates, this is an area that could kind of get a bit of a bounce here. Look, you know, my eye looks, I go back to March, April, that high, and then I see a trend line in my eyes and that downtrend line has effectively been broken. Now, here we are against a 200 day moving average. We've failed here, obviously, the last time. But the fact that we're back here again leads me to believe that we won't fail this time. So, the first level of resistance is going to basically come in the late August, uh, early September high. But, you know, you start getting through there and then this thing can, as you say, Dan, party. So yeah. this to me, double bottoms are interesting. I think the double part bottoms is something you can trade against. This is going to take this XME will absolutely take its cues from whatever comes out of the Federal Reserve. Obviously, then subsequently take its cues from potentially dollar going lower and yields going lower. All right. Um, like how 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 convicted are you that the dollar is topping out here, guys, especially I'm when not. you think about it. you're not you're not. Okay. I, you know, I'm convicted. Well, convicted. That's a that's a dangerous word, as they said in Godfather Two. exterminated. You got to be careful. No, yeah. actually, the Godfather. Sorry. Um, I'm not. I think the dollar, the trajectory, the trajectory is still lower left, upper right. But I do think we're in the midst of one of these back and fills we've seen a number of times over this year. So. 
Yeah, I think the dollar can come off another five, six percent. But I think the lower left, upper right is still intact. Now, if that breaks, that's going to be really interesting to see. You know, if the dollar breaks meaningfully to the downside and if yields break meaningfully to the downside, is that bullish equities or is that happening for some um, strange reason? Right. Is there some sort of flight to quality in the form of bonds? So it's going to be really fascinating to me to see what happens if, in fact, the dollar did top out and if, in fact, we do break that uptrend line. It's been intact for quite some time. Yeah, I'll just say this. And, you know, looking at this chart that Amanda um, threw in here on the FCX, that's the Freeport. And, you know, I would have drawn um, a pretty simple line for whoever was drawing this beautiful fact set chart here. Look at that kind of resistance level, about $34 there, guy. And and here we are, you know, we've shown good relative strength. Same Um, chart. I mean, it's a a very similar chart, but yeah, yeah. please can. No, 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 but I mean, this one looks like, you you know, you get through that kind of $34 level and you're ready Mm -hmm. to go. And I'm just kind of looking at the options chain on my fact sheet machine here. And I'm looking at versus the stock at 33, you know, the 34 call is about $2 or so. You can do that math. What is that? Six, you know, six and a half percent or so. That seems like a lot. But if you get this thing rolling here a little bit, um, that's one way to play it with defined risk. Maybe look to a, a call spread or so. I don't know. I mean, this one looks really interesting to me, guy. You got to get it. You know the math. I mean, you probably got to get it then north of 36 to even consider starting to break even. And probably at that point, vol is going to work against you, I would imagine, because yeah. probably the vol gets taken out. We'll see. But I think you're right in your assumption that, you know, a little bit of a double bottom. This looks like the XME chart. The only difference is this one is not testing the 200-day moving average. But I think if you share that view, I mean, I think all your views line up. And if you're right, again, you think the dollar lowers, short-term yields lower. I think you actually want to be long Freeport MacMoran in that. I think that's a nice basket of trades there, Dan. Yeah, all right. Last one here. We want to update this a little bit. This is the China ETF, the XFI. Oh. The iShares large cap China ETF. What I find mm-hmm. interesting about this ETF is that, you know, these are all Hong Kong listed predominantly in the top, you know, seven or, or, or five of the biggest, you know, internet names over there. You know the names, Alibaba, Baidu, Tencent, uh, Medawan, JD. I think there might be another one there. And we talked about this last week. I bought some calls here when the ETF was 21 and a half. I looked at the 20 two calls. I rolled them up a little bit after we got a bounce, but we made new lows here. And here we are, guy. I mean, we're bouncing today on the potential, I guess it's just rumor that China may avoid or abandon their their zero COVID policy. I mean, that would be a massive catalyst, I think, for just the global economy in general. Listen, no question about it. We actually talked about it on Fast Money last night. We actually brought up Alibaba, I think, a week or so ago. I think it was on October 24th that it had that downdraft down to 58, traded north of 100 million shares. We said, look, that's the capitulation you've been waiting for. And you've seen since Halloween of 2020, when this stock was north of $310, you've seen at least seven or eight, 25 to 50% moves to the upside in what still is a very significant downtrend and a stock that just literally made a multi-year low. I think it was a six and a half, seven-year low. Point being is this has been a fantastic trading instrument. We brought it up again last night. So it's not that I'm bullish Alibaba's business. They do report next week, I believe, or later this week. It's about trading opportunities. And that long-term chart sums it up, Dan. You see that very defined downtrend, but you see along the way, all these moves we've had to the upside and many and 
staying in that downtrend. The last really meaningful one happened in July when I think the stock rallied um, about 40% or so yeah. in two and a half trading days. Yeah. Well, I'll just say this. I mean, I'll say it right here on Market Call, Guy. I think, that, I think that Alibaba between now and your end probably has at least a 20% bounce in it. I'm going to be taking a closer look at that one. All right. Well, we covered a lot of ground here. We laughed. Yeah, we, we cried. Did. I like covering ground. We have, like we have a, in a wagon we, train. We have a very special guest today with us. This is like, this is your Ballywick. This is this is Matt Haggerty. It's like right in your wheelhouse. Like this is the sort of guy that you could sit down and talk markets with for a very long time here, isn't it? Well, let's bring him in. Matt, how are you? You've heard us opining on all things markets, but this is energy is your, this this is your bread and butter. And I find it fascinating. And maybe we could start at 30,000 feet and then we work our way down. But what I've been pointing out for quite some time is the fact that despite the fact that the commodity, crude oil, the underlying commodity has basically gone nowhere now for the last month. And it's been basically cut from 130 down to this 85 level. The underlying equities have done extraordinarily well. I mean, we have Chevron, Conoco, and and Exxon all within whispers, if not making all-time highs, with a market cap now either side of a trillion dollars. So I think the equities, to me at least, Matthew, are telling the story about what's going on here in energy. Yeah, certainly. And uh, just first and foremost, thanks for having me, Guy and Dan. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on here. But uh, yeah, you know, as, as we think about the energy market and how that affects the companies within it, one of the biggest trends that we've really seen is from a U.S. focus, a lot of these companies are shifting after years and years of, of underperforming on a profit standpoint to now uh, focusing on those profits and redistributing those to investors and to pay down debt because it was an incredibly debt-laden industry for a long time, especially as the shale boom really kicked off. So now you have companies shifting and saying, you know what, instead, I think we're going to grow a little bit slower. I think we're really going to take in these high prices and not ruin the party for everybody. And, you know, we're going to we're gonna pay out a dividend, which we've never historically done, at least in any consistent fashion. So, now you have companies, you know, from the EMP side, the, the producers, the small, smaller producers out in the field, um, you know, that are focusing on those dividends, whether it be a variable or a fixed dividend. Um, but you have guys like, you know, EOG and, and Pioneer and Diamondback that are all focusing on um, these, you know, these dividends. And it's it's certainly paying off for them in terms of stock price. Yeah, Matt, you know, you run energy strategy over there at FactSet. And just talk to us a little bit about, um, you obviously have a lot of engagement with your clients there. Talk to us about the changing sentiment. You know, there was a time, and Guy remembers it pretty well, where energy used to be a huge component, right, of the S&P 500. And just, you know, um, on on Thursday's um, market call, we get um, a look at John Butter's earnings insight. And last week, we highlighted just how much like contribution of the energy sector is for S&P earnings right now and how it's supposed to trail off in 2023. And when you think about the percentage of the S&P right now in single digits, it's not great. And I'm just curious, as you think about you know, your 2023 outlook, um, is this a sector that is going to continue to be on you know, the radar of investors if they think that the best times are behind them in a very unusual period, which was 2021 and 2022? Yeah, I mean, you know, you said it right there, you know, the last two, almost three years at this point for energy markets have been anything but stable. And so that's created opportunities for some. It's been certainly difficult on the consumer standpoint. Um, but as we think about, you know, how energy fits into the, the larger picture here, I mean, one, we have this continually growing 
aspect of um, energy uh, dividends from those producers continuing to expand over time. And, you know, certainly that could come under pressure as, you know, we're modeling that natural gas pricing next year is set to fall. So that could certainly pressure the revenues of some companies. Um, we view that oil is going to be pretty volatile, especially, you know, right as we get into 2023, given all of the new sanctions that are coming up on Russia in uh, early December. Um, but one area where we view that there's a little bit more opportunity is on the oil field services side. And so, you know, when we think about those servicer companies, um, they have, similar to the EMPs, spent years in a low margin environment where, you know, they didn't quite have the pricing power on the producers, even though the producers were growing production uh, about as fast as they could for, for much of 2016, 17, and 18. Um, and then, you know, as we think about where those servicers are now, I mean, you have your household names like, you know, that Halliburton, Schlumberger, Baker Hughes, that are all certainly benefiting in terms of, you know, their returns and stock price recently because of international markets. Um, but we're also looking at for margin expansion on some of the onshore U.S. companies that have exposure to the fracturing market, the hydraulic fracturing market. So those are companies like, you know, um, ProPetro, like, um, you know, next year oil field services and Liberty Energy. And so those are companies that, you know, we also think that margin expansion is just going to continue because that hydraulic fracturing market is incredibly tight in the U.S. It is very material intensive from a sand perspective, and it's also incredibly labor intensive, which both of those markets are really, really tight. And so it lends to a little bit of pricing power uh, on the side of the servicers. It was 31 years ago when you had a sort of game out um, warfare in terms of crude oil with the Gulf War. And now here we are, Russia, Ukraine. So if I'm looking at this and correct me if I'm wrong, but in your seat, you have to look at three outcomes. The fact that this thing sort of slogs on the way it's going, that's outcome one. Outcome two is magically uh, there's some cooler heads prevail and, and peace is declared. Or outcome three, which is probably the worst one is this thing escalates. How do you factor that in, in terms of Russia, Ukraine, when you're making these models? Yeah, well, I think, you know, outcome three, which like you said, I, I certainly don't hope any of any of that happens, but between outcome one and two, uh, the sanctions that are placed on Russia are, are coming either way, whether there's a, a resolution today or a resolution, you know, a year or so down the road from now. Um, so as those sanctions hit, one area where we've been really surprised is how much Russian production has actually remained stable uh, through the early you know, months and, and you know, now, I guess, almost the first nine months of that, um, of that war in Ukraine. And so as we think about all of the new sanctions that hit in in December 5th, um, what that means for Russian production and, and some news that we've already seen kind of come through is that some fields are coming offline. So that reduces oil production, that slightly reduces some gas production as well, natural gas. And so... Um, what that means for global markets is it's yet another reshuffling of how do you serve all of this global demand that is um, that is recovering from COVID. And so, you know, in the U.S. and European markets, we've seen that demand from COVID effectively return. But in China, it's another another question. And so, you know, you brought up earlier that there's some news out this morning and over the last couple of days about China pulling off on those uh, zero COVID policies that they have. And so as those potentially come off. Um, that's a whole lot of extra demand that comes out in terms of oil and, and natural gas. And so that could further disrupt markets and create a whole lot more volatility. Now, where we see the volatility is on you know, the global oil prices uh, in U.S. as well. Um, but then on the global natural gas standpoint, with the U.S. maybe slightly less affected on that side. 
So Matt, you bring up, you know, the, the situation in China. And again, you know, like, as we said, I, I just think that, you know, there, that would spark a global equity rally of epic proportions if we thought that they were not going to continue to lock down for minimal amount of cases. But what about the other one? You know, again, guys started talking about war and going back 30 years to the Gulf War. And and, and again, you know, a lot of people were, were probably, you know, poo-pooing the potential for, you know, Russia invading Ukraine at this time last year. But, you know, in January and February, when it looked like tanks were starting to roll, we saw what happened to nat gas and, and, and crude oil. What if China were to blockade, let's say, Taiwan in 2023? What would that do to even with a zero COVID policy, let's say, going away in China? What would that do to global energy markets? Well, I think it's a little bit of a different side of the same coin because you have, in Russia's case, an oil producer and a natural gas producer. Um, in China, from China's perspective, they're more consumer of that energy. So um, it depends on how some of those partner countries that they currently have, mainly Russia, how they could respond to that. But on top of Russia, obviously exporting a whole lot of its energy energy to China, the U.S. exports a lot of oil to China and mm-hmm. also exports a whole lot of natural gas to China. So if vis-a-vis that market were closed off to U.S. exporters, um, then that does also weigh on global pricing globally, it just in a, in a different fashion, in the opposite direction as what it's meant from the Russian perspective. You have a webinar tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken, Matthew. I'm going to tease it, but talk to me quickly about what you're going to speak about. Yeah, so tomorrow's webinar, we're going to focus on natural gas markets and our view for 2023. And so as we think about what this growth in production from the U.S. that we've seen in natural gas already this year, which we expect to accelerate into 2023, what does that mean for pricing? And so, you know, in our view, as we have minimal demand growth in the U.S. from a natural gas standpoint next year compared to this year, we have a whole lot more production. And so we expect that to weigh on prices. Go to factset.com and look for the event. Are U.S. natural gas prices poised to crash? I mean, that's a provocative headline. I dig it. Matthew, thanks for joining us. Sign up, by the way, is free. So check it out, factset.com. Matthew, thank you. Thanks so much, guys. See you. Brought the goods, Dan. I mean, I enjoyed it right up my alley. I'll be on that webinar. Um, I, I love when, uh, you know, we have Butters on. Now we have Matt Haggerty on. Um, we've had a lot of great guests from FactSet. They do really thoughtful um, analytical work, and we really appreciate having the opportunity to highlight that work, guy, don't we? Yeah, we do. Who was that Grizzly Adams dude? Wasn't his last name like Haggerty or something or Haggerty or something? Nah, like that? Not, that, not that Matthew looks like him. It just sort of that's unfortunately how my mind You know, you know what's but, funny? You know, Matthew is a clean cut man, and he looks like he's a senior energy strategist at a, fir- a fine firm like Faxet, you yeah. know, unlo- as unlike opposed you. to Grizzly Adams, who is out yeah. there in the wilderness hanging out with big old bears. <laughs> I fall somewhere in between the two, I would I would imagine. So I don't know. That's I, I don't know what to tell you. Today is going to be look, I actually think the next couple of days, Dan, not, all kidding aside. Yeah, I think you're going to see heightened volatility. I think the currency move is going to be violent. The bond moves as well. People are taking their cues from every word that comes out of this. On top of it, you have an employment number. You have more earnings. It's a, it is a, it is a target-rich environment. If you were to go back for your Top Gun days, Dan. Matter of fact, and that was the scene. I think in the bar on yeah, the. That's uh, yeah, correct. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Do. I mean, that's all right. Should we should we do this? Should we wrap this thing up here? You want to wrap it? You want me? I'll do it if you want. I think I, it's kind that's of your it back. for today's market call. Rangers play tonight, playing the Flyers. 
Uh, I'm not pleased with the start we've gotten off to. The Phillies were rained out last. I didn't realize it was raining that hard in Philadelphia, but yeah, they'll play tonight. I think unless you live in Texas, uh, you got to be a Phillies fan. There's no way you can root for the Astros. And if I offended you, too bad. I want to thank our sponsors for this episode, FactSet, for providing all the charts and data. Obviously, Matthew Haggerty for joining us as well. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 o'clock, Dan, with Tom Sosanoff of Tasty Trade. We'll see you later, folks. All right, see you later. 